You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Chapter 5. Fumbling Hands. Now Bentley was beginning to realize to the full the horrible thing that had befallen himself and Ellen Estabrook. He knew something else, too. It had come to him when he heard Ellen's words next door, telling Barter that she loved the creature Barter was beating, which she thought was Lee Bentley. That creature was Lee Bentley, but only the earthly casement of Lee Bentley, the ruling power of Bentley's body, the driving force which actuated his body, was the brain of an ape. As for Bentley himself, that part of him of which he thought when he thought of I, to all intents and purposes, to all outer seeming, had become an ape. His body was an ape's body. His legs were an ape's. Everything about him was simian save one thing, the ego, that something by which man knows that he is himself, with an individual identity. That was buried behind the almost non-existent brow of an ape. In all things save one, he was an ape. That thing was Bentley's brain. In all things save one, that creature in the room with Ellen Estabrook was Bentley. Bentley, driven to mad behavior by the brain of an ape. The horror of it tore at Bentley as he still thought of himself. If I were to get out of this cage, he told himself voicelessly, and were to enter that room with Ellen, she would cower into a corner in terror. She would fly to the arms of that travesty of me, for she thinks it is I in there with her, because it looks like me. Now that Ellen was beyond his reach, more beyond his reach than if she had been dead, he realized how much she meant to him. In the few mad hours of their association, they had come to belong to each other, with a possessiveness that was beyond words. Thinking then that the travesty in there with her, with Bentley's body, was really Bentley, to what lengths might she not be persuaded in her love? It was a ghastly thing to contemplate. But what could Bentley do? He could not speak to her. If he tried, she would race from him in terror at the bellowing ferocity of his voice. How could he tell her his love when his voice was such as to frighten the very wild beasts of the jungle? Yet, how could he allow her to remain with that other Bentley, that body which perhaps was provided with a man's appetites, and the brain of a beast which knew nothing of honor and took what it wished if it were strong enough? There was one ray of hope in that Barter had hinted he would protect Ellen from the ape-man. That meant physically, with all that might indicate. But who could compensate her for the horror she must be experiencing with that speechless imbecile she thought was Bentley? If this thing were to continue indefinitely, and Ellen were kept in ignorance, she would eventually grow to hate the thing. And if ever, as he had hinted, Barter were to transfer back the entities of the man and the ape, Ellen would always shudder with horrible memories when she looked at the man she had just now admitted she loved. Bentley was becoming calmer now. He knew exactly what he faced, and there was no way out until Barter should be satisfied with his mad experiment. Bentley must go through with whatever was in store for him. So must the ape who possessed his body. And in the very nature of things, unless Bentley could train himself to a self-saving docility, both bodies would repeatedly know the fiery stinging of that lash of Barter's. 
Bentley could control himself after a fashion. The ape might be cowed, but long before that time arrived, Bentley's body would be made to suffer marks they would bear forever to remind him of this horror. I must somehow manage to continue to care for Ellen, he told himself. But how? He scarcely realized that his great hands were wandering over his body, scratching, scratching. And when he did realize he felt sick, without being able to understand how or where he felt sick. If he felt sick at the stomach, he thought of it as his own stomach. When he thought of moving the hairy hands, he thought of his hands. He grinned to himself, never realizing the horrible grimace which crossed his face, though there was none to see it. When he recalled how men of his acquaintance during the Great War had complained of aching toes at the end of legs that had been amputated, he was learning one thing, that the brain is everything that matters. The seat of pain and pleasure, of joy and of sorrow, of hunger and of thirst even. Bentley waddled to the door of the cage. He studied the lock which held him prisoner, and noted how close he must hold his face to see it all. All apes might be nearsighted as far as he knew, but he did know that this one was. Perhaps he could free himself. He tried to force his massive hands to the task of investigating the lock. But what an effort! It was like trying to hypnotize a subject that did not wish to be hypnotized. A distinct effort of will, like trying to force someone to turn and look by staring at the back of that person's neck in a crowd. It was like trying to make an entirely different person move his arm or his leg, merely by willing that he move it. But the great arms which might have weighed tons, though Bentley sensed no strain, raised to the door and fumbled dumbly, clumsily. He tried to close the gnarled fingers, whose backs were covered with the rough hair, to manipulate the lock, but he succeeded merely in fumbling, like a baby senselessly tugging at its father's fingers, the existence of which had no shape or form in the baby's brain. But he strove with all his will to force those clumsy hands to do his bidding. They slipped from the lock, went back again, fumbled over it, fell away. You must, muttered Bentley, you must, you must. He would discover the secret of the lock, so that he would be able to remove it when the time was right. But so slow and uncertain and clumsy were the movements of his ape hands, he was in mortal fear that he would unlock the door and then not be able to lock it again and Barter would discover what he had in mind. But he struggled on, while foul-smelling sweat poured from his mighty body and dripped to the floor. He concentrated on the lock with all his power, knowing as he did so that the lock would have been but a simple problem for a child of six or seven. It was nothing more than a bar held in place with a leather thong. But the powerful fingers, which now were Bentley's, were too blunt and inflexible to master the knot Barter had left. Bentley paused to listen. From Ellen's room came the sound of weeping. From the front room came Barter's pleased laughter as he talked with the thing which so much resembled Bentley. That was a relief, to know that his other self had been at least temporarily removed from the possibility of injuring Ellen. In Bentley's mind there were certain pictures of Barter. He saw him plainly, on his knees begging for mercy, while Bentley's ape hands choked his life away. He saw him tossed about like a mere child, 
and casually torn apart, ripped limb from limb by the mighty hands of man-ape. God, he told himself, refusing to listen to the slobbering gibberish which came from his thick lips when he addressed himself. I can do nothing to barter, not until he restores me properly. If he is slain, it is the end for me, and for Ellen. He is a master, no doubt of that. He anesthetized me through the door, with something of his own manufacture, that smelled like violets, and put my brain in man-ape, after removing from man-ape the brain of the savage. Then he removed an ape's brain from a second ape, and put it in my skull-pan, all within the space of a few hours. Yet his knowledge of surgery and medicine is such that even in so short a time I suffer little from the operation, save for the dull headache which I had on awakening, and which I now scarcely feel at all. He straightened, close against the bars, and began to fumble with the leather thong which held him prisoner. In his brain was the hazy idea that he might after all make a break for it, and carry Ellen away to a place of safety, taking a chance on finding his way back here to force Barter to operate again and restore him to his proper place. But would not Ellen die of fright at being borne away through the jungle in the arms of an ape? Was there any possibility of forcing Barter to perform the operation? No, for under the anesthetic again, Barter, angered by the thwarting of whatever purpose actuated him, might do something even worse than he had done, if that were possible. Again, even if he reached civilization with Ellen, every human hand would be turned against him. Rifles would hurl their lead into him. Hunters would pursue him. No, it was impossible. Bentley, Ellen, and the ape-man, his own body, ape-brained, were but pawns in the hands of Barter. Barter might be actuated by a desire to serve science, that science which was alike his tool and his god. Bentley scarcely doubted that Barter believed himself specially ordained to do this thing, in the name of science. Probably, unquestionably, felt himself entirely justified. Plainly, now that Bentley recalled things Barter had said, Barter had waited for an opportunity of this kind, had waited for someone to be tossed into his net, and Ellen and Lee, flotsam of the sea, had come in answer to the prayer for whose answer Barter had waited. It was horrible, yet there was nothing they could do, at least to free themselves, until it pleased Barter to take the step. It came then to Bentley how precious to them both was the life of Caleb Barter. He could restore Bentley or destroy him, and with him the woman who loved him. Suppose, came Bentley's sudden thought, Barter should think of performing a like operation on Ellen, using in the transfer the brain of a female ape? God! He prayed that the thought would never come to Barter. He was afraid to dwell upon it lest Barter read his thought. He might think of it naturally, as a simple corollary to what he had already done. Bentley then must do something before Barter planned some new madness. He sat back and bellowed savagely, beating his chest with his mighty hands. Instantly, the outer door opened and Barter came in. Bentley ceased his bellowing and chest-pounding, and sat docilely there, staring into the eyes of Barter. "'Have you discovered there is no use opposing me, Bentley?' said the professor softly. Bentley nodded his shaggy head. 
Then, by a superhuman effort of will, he raised the right arm of Manape and pointed. He could not point the forefinger, but he could point the arm, and look in the direction he desired. You want to come out and go into the front room? Bentley nodded. You will make no attempt to injure me? Bentley shook his head ponderously from side to side. You would like to see the ape-man, the creature that looks so much like you that it will be like peering at yourself in a mirror? Or rather, as it would have been yesterday had you looked into a mirror? Bentley nodded slowly. You understand that no matter what the ape-man does, you must not try to slay him. Bentley did not move. You understand, if you destroy ape-man's body, you are doomed to remain man-ape forever, because the true body of Lee Bentley will die and be eventually destroyed? Bentley nodded. He felt a trickle of moisture on the rough skin about his flaring nostrils, and knew that he was weeping, soundlessly. But there was no pity in the face of Barter. He was the scientist who studied his science, to whom it was the breath of life, and he saw nothing, thought of nothing, not directly connected with his experiment. You give me your word of honor as a gentleman not to oppose me? It was odd, an almost superhumanly intellectual scientist asking for an ape's word of honor but that did not occur to Bentley at the moment as he nodded his head. Barter still held his lash poised. He unfastened the leather thong which held Bentley prisoner and swung wide the door. Then he turned his back on Bentley and led the way to the door. Bentley followed him on mighty feet and bent knuckles into the room which had first received Lee and Ellen when they had entered the cabin of the scientist. Bentley would have gasped had he been capable of gasping at what he saw. In a far corner, cowering down in fear at sight of Barter and his coiled whip, was the Bentley of the mirror in his stateroom aboard the Bengal Queen, and before that. It was an uncanny sensation to stand off and peer at himself thus. Yonder was Bentley, yet here was Bentley too. Then he noted the difference. The face of that Bentley yonder was twisted, savage. That Bentley had seen Manape and the teeth were exposed in a snarl of savage hatred. There a man-ape stared at another man-ape, and bared his fangs in challenge. The white hands of Bentley began to beat the white chest of Bentley, to beat the chest savagely, until the white skin was red as blood. The Bentley buried within the mighty carcass of an anthropoid ape watched and shuddered. That thing yonder was dressed only in a breech-clout, and the fair flesh was crisscrossed in scores of places with bleeding wounds left by the lash of barter. The ape-man's brows were furrowed in concentration. The human body made ape-like movements. Bentley knew that soon that creature, forgetting everything save that he faced a rival man-ape, would charge and attempt to measure the power of man-ape, fang against fang. The white form rose, Barter caused his whiplash to crack like an explosion. One moment, he said. Back, ape-man. I'll bring Miss Estabrook. Perhaps she can placate you. She has a strange power over you both. Bentley would have cried out 
as Barter crossed to unlock Ellen's door, but he knew that he could not stop Barter, and that his cry would simply be a terrible bellow to frighten the woman he loved when she entered the room. The door opened. White, shaken, her eyes deep wells of terror, circled with blue rings which told the effect of the horror she had experienced, Ellen Estabrook entered, and screamed with terror as she saw the hulking figure of Manape, screamed with terror and rushed to the arms of the cowering thing in the corner. Chapter 6. Puppets of Barter The thing that Barter then contrived was destined to remain forever in the memory of Bentley as the most ghastly thing he had ever experienced. Ellen hurried into the arms of that thing in the corner. Gropingly, protectively, the white arms encompassed her, but they were awkward, uncertain, and Bentley was minded of a female ape, or monkey, holding her young against her hairy bosom. Barter turned toward Bentley and smiled. He rubbed his hands together with satisfaction. "'A success so far, my experiment,' he said. "'The human body still answers to primal urges, "'which are closely enough allied to those of our simian cousins, "'that their outward manifestations, manual gestures, "'expressions in the eyes, etc., are much the same. "'When the two are combined, the action approximates humanness. "'That travesty yonder pressed its face against Ellen, and she drew back, her eyes wide as they met those of the white figure which held her. "'I am all right,' she managed. "'Please don't hold me so tightly.' She tried to struggle away, but Ape-Man held her helpless. "'Barter!' yelled Bentley. "'Take her away from that thing. How can you do such a horrible thing?' At least, those were the words he intended to shout but the sound that came from his lips was the bellowing of a man-ape. That other thing yonder answered his bellow, bared white teeth in a bestial snarl. Barter turned to Bentley, however. "'You want me to take her away from Bentley and give her to you?' Bentley nodded. His bellowing attempt at speech had sent Ellen closer into the arms of Bentley's other self, henceforth to be known as Ape-Man." Bentley had defeated his own purpose by his bellow. "'Miss Estabrook,' said Barter softly, "'nothing will happen to you if you stand clear of your sweetheart.' Nausea gripped Bentley as he heard ape-man referred to as Ellen's sweetheart, but now he remembered to refrain from attempting speech. "'But,' went on Barter, "'Manape has taken a violent dislike to Bentley.' and may attack him if you do not stand clear. Manape likes you, you know. You probably sensed that last evening. Ellen visibly shuddered. She patted the shoulder of Ape-Man and stepped away, toward a chair which Barter thrust toward her. She pressed her hands to her throbbing temples, visibly fighting to control herself. Her whole body was trembling as with the ague. "'Professor Barter,' she said at last, "'I am terribly confused and most awfully frightened. "'What has happened here? "'What dreadful thing has so awfully changed Lee? "'I talk to him, and he answers nothing that I understand. "'Is it some weird fever? "'At this moment 
I have the feeling that that brute man-ape understands more perfectly than Lee, and the idea is horrible. I love Lee, Professor. See, he hears me say it, yet I cannot tell from his expression what he thinks. Does he despise me for so freely admitting my love? Has he any feeling about it at all? Has his mind completely gone? Yes, said Barter with some semblance of a smile on his lips. His mind has completely gone. But it is only temporary, my dear. You forget that I am perhaps the world's greatest living medical man, and that I can do things no other man can do. I shall restore Lee wholly to you when the time comes." It is not well to hasten things in cases of this kind. One never knows but that great harm may be done. But I can nurse him. I can care for him and love him and help to make him well. Barter looked away from Ellen, his eyes apparently focused on a spot somewhere in the air between ape-man and man-ape. Would that be satisfactory to Bentley, I wonder? He said musingly yet Bentley recognized it as a question addressed to him. Bentley looked at the girl, but her eyes were fixed, alight with love which was still filled with questioning, on ape-man. Bentley shook his head, and Barter laughed a little. "'You know, Miss Estabrook,' he went on, "'that a strange malady like that which appears to have attacked Lee Bentley should be studied carefully.' in order that the observations of a savant may be given to the world so that such maladies may be effectually combated in future. This is one reason why I do not hasten. But you are using a sick man as you would a rabbit in a laboratory experiment, she cried. Can't you see that there are things not even you should do? Don't you understand that some things should be left entirely in the hands of God? "'I do not concede that,' retorted Barter. "'God makes terrible mistakes sometimes, "'as witness cretins, mongoloid idiots, criminals, and the like. "'I know about these things better than you do, my dear, "'and you must trust me.' "'Oh, if only I knew what was right! "'Poor Lee! "'You lashed him so, and his body is awful with the scars.' Was that necessary? Insane persons are not to blame for their insanity, said Barter soothingly. Yet sometimes they must be handled roughly, to prevent them from causing loss of life, their own or others. Now the eyes of Ellen came to rest on Manape. They were fear-filled at first, especially when she discovered that the little red eyes of Manape were upon her. But she did not turn her eyes away, nor did Manape. She seemed dazed, unable to orient herself, unable to distinguish the proper mode of action. "'That ape in repose is almost human,' she said wearily, her brow puckered as though she sought the answer to some unspoken question that eluded her. "'I am not afraid of him at this moment, yet I know that in a second he can become an invincible brute.' capable of tearing us all limb from limb. "'Not so long as I have this whip,' said Barter grimly. "'But Manape is docile at the moment, and it is Bentley 
who is ferocious. Ape-man was still snarling at man-ape, lending point to Barter's statement. Barter went on. You know, he said, apes are almost human in many respects. Man-ape likes you, and I doubt if he would attempt to hurt you. If he knew that you cared for Bentley there, he would most assuredly try to be friendly to Bentley also. Perhaps you can manage it. Apes are capable of primitive reasoning, you know. Go to man-ape. He won't injure you, at least while I am here. Stroke him. He will like it. He is a friend worth having, never fear. And one never knows when one might need a friend, or what sort of friend one may need. Ellen hesitated, and her face whitened again. Barter went on. Go ahead. It is necessary that Manape and Bentley remain here together for a time. Manape will be locked up, but if he happens to break loose, there is nothing he might not do. With Bentley in the condition he is, he would be no match for Manape. But if Manape thought you desired his friendship for Bentley, there he left it, while Bentley wondered what new horror Barter was planning. He yearned for Ellen to come to him. But if he strode toward her now, how would Barter explain that Manape had understood his words? No, Ellen must take the step, and each one would be hesitant as she fought against her natural revulsion at touching this great shaggy creature, which was Manape to her, and Bentley to himself. Slowly, almost against her will, Ellen rose and moved across the floor toward Bentley. Ape-man growled ominously. He rose to his feet, his arms writhing like disjointed, broken-backed snakes across his scarred chest. Ape-man took a step forward. Barter did not notice, apparently for he was watching Man-Ape as Ellen approached. She came quite close. Slowly, she put forth her hand to touch the shaggy shoulder of Man-Ape. Bentley, seeking some way, any way, to reassure her, put his great shaggy right arm about her waist for the merest second. Then Ape-Man charged, bellowing a shrill crescendo that was half-human, half-simian, before Bentley could realize Ape-Man's intentions, Ape-Man had clutched Ellen about the waist and dashed for the door of the cabin. He was gone, racing across the clearing with swift strides, bearing the girl with him. Bentley whirled to pursue, but Barter had beaten him to the door and now blocked it, whiplash writhing, twisting, curling to strike. Back, Bentley, back, I say. In a moment you may follow as part of my experiment. But remember, the end must be here in this cabin, and you must remember everything so that you can tell me all when you are restored. Bentley cowered under the lash, his whole shaggy body trembling frightfully. From the jungle toward which ape-man was racing came the roaring challenge of half a dozen anthropoids. End of section 5